So welcome um, again. Uh, glad you joined us. Good morning. Good evening. Uh, uh, good night, depending on where you are in the world. Um, about a little bit less than half of our viewers are from the United States and the rest are from Asia, South America, the Middle East, Europe, you name Australia and uh, New Zealand. So um, thanks for joining us. We've got a couple of interesting things I'm excited about today's show. We're going to be talking with Dr. Craig Bax. Um, Dr. Bax, uh, I, I met Dr. Bax with the Bail Dunin program. He's got some Bail Dunin, Dunin training as well. Like myself, he went on to do uh, several other things. One of them has to do with a, a screen for a screen. It's a, uh, a program which is a screening device, which we'll talk about. We'll just uh, wait and talk a little bit further about that. But the one, the one zinger I'll, I'll make is that it's um, a screening for a CIMT. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. He'll show us uh, some of that technology today. As we, uh, as we usually do in terms of the intro, uh, we talk about some of the previous topics. This looks like a, um, uh, a, uh, an error TC angiogram. Actually, the error is that it's a future topic. We'll be covering that in a week or two. It's a uh, TC angiogram, it's CT angiogram, but here's what happened. Uh, our content team is uh, for developing some of the earlier uh, slide uh, versions is uh, Spanish speaking. Uh, Dr. Jesus in, uh, in Mexico, as well as uh, a couple of other docs, some of them that uh, work here, uh, good friends of mine, uh, work here in the U.S. TC is the correct uh, uh, version when you're speaking in Spanish. So we'll get that corrected and Engl anglicized uh, for the English speakers and English readers a little bit later. But we'll get to that later. Again, for those of you who are uh, new to the channel, this channel is all about helping you prevent the things that most doctors don't really understand that well. Uh, we love other doctors. Medicine is better than it's ever been in the history of mankind, but it's still missing some very important stuff. Uh, if you look at heart attack, if the number one cause of death. If you look at stroke, the number one cause of permanent disability and uh, dementia rapidly becoming uh, the number one cause of disability. These all are caused by the same thing. Uh, more than anything else, they're caused by insulin resistance or prediabetes. And if there's one thing that you see in this channel, it's, and, and look at the, the, uh, the comments on the channel. It's, hey, doc, I took your test. I wasn't prediabetic. I was full-blown diabetic. You saved my life. And yeah, we, we get a lot of that. And it's because docs don't understand the importance of prediabetes. Everything goes in this world fast and quick. So doctors today assume that you can't do the old style, appropriate testing for prediabetes, the full-blown oral glucose tolerance test. It's a moving picture to see how we metabolize glucose. And again, number one cause of the things that kill us, the things that disable us. But docs just depend on hemoglobin A1C. 
Hemoglobin A1C is just not adequate for this important topic. And you say, well, my doctor should know this. He's got a doctorate in it, right? Or she does. And the answer is, well, they should, but they don't. Again, it's not a bang on other docs. It's just the, the status of where we are as a culture. Look at our folks at, at Hopkins, Mayo Clinic, other, other folks have all developed science, which makes it very, very clear. The typical doctor today does not understand how to diagnose, let alone manage, prediabetes, insulin resistance, the things that are killing and disabling us more than anything else. So I hate to say it, but it is. It's a buyer beware uh, uh, or patient beware type of space. You have to learn some things. It's not that hard. Spend a couple of hours and you can know more than the vast majority of doctors on how to save your life and how to be healthy. Here's one way of doing it. We have, uh, we have webinars. You can actually even get the, the definitive testing and uh, share that with others if you want. We had a, a group uh, last week where they didn't want to share, a couple of them didn't want to share their results, at least coming into it. Then they got into the experience and started hearing other people's results on their AGTT. And they said, well, here, wait a minute, let me just share mine. I understand now what's going on. And we're all beginning to understand and learn about this very important determinant of health. Going through life without understanding your glucose, your blood glucose is like driving without a, without a speedometer. So <clears throat> here's one way of getting that information. It's a webinar. Another way, just courses. They're real cheap. Uh, sometimes we'll even give them away. But at most, you'll spend uh, 39 or 49 bucks. Again, spend a couple of hours. Learn how to protect your health. Um, People have asked us, you know, how can I just be a patient of yours? I'd like to get some one-on-one -on -one care, uh, but you're expensive. We are. Uh, one of the more affordable ways of doing that is our monthly subscription programs, which we developed specifically for that. Most of our content is free if you can, but there's a lot of it. You know, sometimes you have to wade through it. Uh, that's why a lot of people want one-on-one -on -one care. Go to our website. Uh, the website is a place for you to figure out, okay, this is what I need to learn. I can get free resources here. I can uh, get one-on-one uh, -on -one care. I can get uh, what I need. Another uh, inexpensive way of getting of uh, getting the content and learning what you need to learn is this book, Prevention Myths. What a stress test can't tell you. You know, uh, if you've been on this channel, if you've seen this channel very much, you've heard it probably more than once. Um, the big Russ, Tim Russert is the poster boy for, Hey doc, I'm getting worried about a heart attack. Can we do a stress test? Passing that stress test with flying colors and then dying a few weeks later. Why does that happen? Get the book. You'll figure it out. Stress test is not a great way for cardiovascular screening. And that's, again, why, one of the reasons we have Dr. Bax with us today. Now, before we get to Dr. Bax, I do want to recognize a friend, OAG, uh, Old Alabama Gardener. Uh, if you go to his channel, he's a YouTuber. Um, and here's, 
and he died uh, this past week. They they put up a, a memorial for him. He was also a uh, a patient. He shared his experience with me, and he shared his experience uh, several times on his own videos on his own YouTube channel. And he came onto my channel and and shared some some of his story as well. Um, his channel. He was a gardener, as as the name implies. But he was a little bit more than a gardener. He actually worked in rocket science most of his career. He uh, worked in with rockets in the Pacific Ocean. That's where he met his uh, his wife. So he was technically very savvy, far savvier than I was. He was able to do a lot of time lapse um, uh, videos and photography for his gardening, and it was just like the ultimate farm to table. Uh, video channel. Um, <clears throat> and I'll share with you a little bit about his story. Uh, Dr. Bax and I were talking about it. You know, you would say, well, gosh, he, he died. Why would you even discuss that on a channel of uh, prevention? So when, when OAG came to me, it, it, you can go to some of the videos. We'll provide some of the videos on our, uh, on our website. Um, he shared some very life-saving information. He, he shared some, uh, he discovered our channel. In fact, I discovered him. I, I saw a comment on the channel one day. I was going through our comments and this comment came up and it said, Hey doc, I took your test. And he was referring to the oral glucose tolerance test with insulin resistance. The many people call it the craft insulin survey. He said, I, I took your test. I wasn't pre-diabetic. I have full-blown diabetes. Doc, you saved my life. And, you know, that, we, like I said before, we get a lot of those comments on this channel. And uh, he set up time. He actually drove up from Alabama to see me one snowy, wintry uh, day. And he did some foot. He saw me as a patient. He did some footage. He put uh, that footage on his channel and shared a lot of his story. And his story was, look, uh, I already died once. He was in his 80s and he had some heart problems. He said, I already died. They got me back, but they're expecting me to die any time now. And I don't want to do that. Uh, I know I will soon, but... I don't want to become disabled. I don't want to be a burden to my loved ones, my wife. He mentioned his wife many times. You could tell he loved her very much. He wanted to be around as long as he could to protect her and be with her. And again, he, he covered a lot of health uh, components on his channel, especially after discovering us, because he said, look, just with a few simple things, People don't have to come see you. They can just get free information, free content, and save their own lives. And he, he also shared this. He said, you know what? My uh, After discovering that I can't eat carbs, that I don't metabolize them very well, I looked at one of my own favorite habits. And my habit was I loved... Um, 
I love corn chips, nacho chips. And sometimes I'll just sit in the bed and eat nacho chips while I'm reading or watching videos or planning my videos. And he said, after realizing that I'm diabetic and I can't metabolize carbs like that, I bit the bullet because of my family wanting to stay here, wanting to help people on the channel. And I stopped eating those nacho chips. And he said, I wasn't, I wasn't heavy. I wasn't fat, but I lost 40 pounds just from that one thing, stopping those nacho chips. And he said, I can't believe how much better I feel. And again, as, as he shared, he went from uh, having an experience that he, he shared where I was, I had died on the table. They got me back. They didn't expect me to last long. Then within a few months, he was back out in the garden gardening all day long and making videos and sharing that gardening information with others, sharing health information with others. So uh, he was a great guy. I'm going to miss him. Not only a patient, but a big friend. And uh, he made a huge contribution to a whole lot of people. He had over, he had almost 200,000 subscribers to his channel <clears throat> when he died. And it was all about making food and uh, taking it to the table. And his one of his favorite things to do was to eat a little bit of what he had made at the and at the end of the video and say, mm -mm, I wish you were here. I wish you could. I could share that with you. It was really good. So OAG will miss you. And uh, you you did a lot of people a lot of good. So thank you so much for allowing me to share that. Uh, why don't we go into uh, talking about other ways of screening for uh, cardiovascular disease? So, Craig, why don't you just uh, get started by telling us a little bit about yourself and then we'll uh, we'll go from there. Well, thanks for it. I appreciate the opportunity to, to be with you today and. Uh, you know, we all have um, memories, memories, of, fond memories of patients uh, who are with us and who have passed, uh, who have made our lives better by <clears throat> our ability or opportunity to, to serve them. So I'm sorry you lost a friend, but uh, you know, you, I'm sure you helped him a great deal in the process and improved his quality of life. I, I tell my patients that our goal is for you to die old and healthy. Uh, we're all going to die, uh, but uh, as long as long as good quality of life as possible. So. Um, as Ford said, uh, he and I met, I think probably five or six years ago. It was not too long after I'd attended my first Bale preceptorship in November 13. And we talked a little bit at a reception and, uh, it seemed at that point you were, um, on your journey, um, to where you are now. And I was just starting my journey and I <clears throat> had, I'm a, I'm a general internist, uh, by training. Uh, I would call myself now a recovering internist or a more open-minded allopath. Uh, I haven't abandoned Western you know, uh, medicine, uh, the, the rigor of internal medicine, the differential diagnosis, the uh, management of chronic disease, um, but I've really switched my mindset from managing chronic disease to getting rid of it, uh, that is curing it. So I went for the first uh, 30 years of my career thinking that we had to live with these chronic conditions, diabetes and heart disease, and just hope that if we had a, an event as a consequence, uh, that we'd be rescued. 
And I practiced as part of a group until 2007. And I guess it's probably fair to say I was actually in a state that I probably best described as burnout. Um, but I was a main, very much a mainstream doctor. And, and I still think I, I, well, I should be, the, I think we're you and I are the new mainstream. We should be the new mainstream. Um, I was president of my state medical society. I was chairman of the board of my state medical society, carried the water for my profession uh, for, for a long, long time, also involved in the AMA House of Delegates um, in policymaking. But in 2007, I left practice. I went to work as a chief medical officer in a 300-bed hospital with a, uh, affiliated with the SIU School of Medicine here in Springfield. I was there for three years, learned a lot about process improvement and patient safety, and tried to do a lot as much as I could to improve those issues, And but ultimately left there about three years into my tenure and decided to go back into private practice. And I opened up my practice as a concierge model in general primary care, um, and that was somewhat successful, but it really wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. Then I discovered I myself with a CIMT ultrasound at a lipid meeting that I have arterial disease. And, you know, no surprise, my dad had three stents. My mother had multiple strokes, atrial fibrillation. She's type 2 diabetes. Both have since passed uh, on in, uh, in their 80s. Um, but it was kind of a slap in the face to actually see it on ultrasound. And I've always used that as the, you know, picture's worth a thousand words. So, okay, how do I get rid of this? Um, and I was taking my statin. I, I thought I was exercising, you know, 30 minutes on every common bike. I thought I was eating a healthy, low fat diet, but still eating a lot of carbs. And I was about 70 pounds overweight, but I was okay. Round is a shape, right? I was in shape <laughs> as I tell my patients. Uh, so I, I actually learned about the Bailey method from, uh, the CEO of Vasolas, which was a company that done my, had done my CIMT for it. I know you work with cardio risks. They're kind of like two peas in a pod. Uh, very similar programs, uh, doing the same thing um, in slightly different ways. And he turned me on to the Bailey method. And I went there thinking, well, this may all be a bunch of malarkey, a bunch of snake oil, or it could be the best thing. I won't be able to unsee it. And I'll have to change everything. And son of a gun, I took the latter approach. I couldn't unsee what I learned. I was shocked at how um, many opportunities were missing to reverse arterial disease and type 2 diabetes by extension. And uh, I, I remember after that uh, two-day, 17-hour drinking from a fire hose uh, uh, preceptorship, I, I said to my wife, you have to drive because I have to, I have to look at all this stuff and start getting it organized. And by the time, you know, the six-hour drive from Nashville to Springfield had taken place, I had outlined a spreadsheet with the, uh, what was that, kind of the infancy of the Center for Prevention for Heart Attack and Stroke. Um, and... I was working on the process, how to deliver it. And, it, you know, as you know, it's, it can be rather cumbersome. So I'll try to fast forward. My ultimate goal was to, to bring this process down into a, a simpler, more consumable way that could be delivered at a more efficiently at a lower cost. And in the process, I moved from the Center for Prevention to the Cure Center for Chronic Disease. As I started to see the results, as I'm sure you see in your practices, we just weren't seeing, our patients just aren't having heart attacks, strokes, their arterial age is getting better, their diabetes is disappearing, they're on less medications, you know, so what I was encouraged to call it the cure, you know, that I had a cure for arterial disease, not I had, but we had a cure. Um, and I've resisted that because of the fear that, oh, I get a lot of pushback, you can't cure those conditions. Well, I think Ford and I both would agree. I, I hope you would agree that that actually is not true. So I finally bit the bullet about a year and a half ago, and I 
changed it to the cure center because patients are tend to act more proactive. They tend to move from thought to action or talk to action if they actually have a problem that they're trying to get rid of as opposed to preventing a problem. That's just human nature. And so we, uh, we, we seek to identify disease early and uh, set about uh, putting together a personalized cure plan for our patients, uh, starting often with, do you have arterial disease? Well, let's look and see. Do you have diabetes? Let's look and see. Um, in our case, we use body composition analysis often as the first step uh, toward understanding the, what's going on in terms of prediabetes. Great story. You came in, you know, we're, we're a little bit different and I'm kind of weird because I got interested in prevention very early. I started off as an ER doc and it was like just after a couple of years, everything that came in could have, would have, should have been prevented. Mm -hmm. But in order to do that, you had to give up everything in terms of regular medicine and what most docs do all day, every day, pushing pills mm -hmm. and procedures and stuff like that and getting on to the next patient to push more pills and procedures uh, and then just stop and talk to patients. And it um, it's a different kind of different kind of practice. I'm glad to see you join us. And uh, as I think one of the things that uh, some folks don't know, you may want to share some you and um, and David Wright and I uh, Parm. Edia mm -hmm. uh, have begun some discussions about getting together and uh, providing something um, for a larger group. Any comments about that? Yeah, I'm really excited to be part of this conversation. Uh, a little bit of a latecomer to it. We're approaching things in a different way. Um, I love the content that you've created. I mean, it's it's like an encyclopedia, a video encyclopedia on YouTube of of uh, you know ways in which patients can help themselves. Um, I, I did something similar with my website. I developed my, or the curesunder.life website um, in response to if I got a question more than once from a patient, I just did a, create a, a page and put it on the website that I could then send them to the next three or four or 10 or 100th patient that had that question. I could send them the link to that page and it would help them. Um, and so, and so David uh, has been in the business of trying to develop software to support a systematic approach to uh, the, the uh, identifying the root causes of arterial disease and type 2 diabetes and um, put that in a, a digital platform that can then more, more easily be scaled. I set about doing the same thing for myself. I started out with a paper scorecard um, and developed systematically tried to whittle this down. And I shouldn't say whittle it down, but, but simplify it. I make it more elegant, I guess, is the word I would look for so that more people could consume it. And now we have, uh, David has uh, My Health Plan, I think is what it's called. And we have what we call CureLink as a platform. And our intention, my intention all along in developing CureLink with my software developer was to have a multi-tenant, secure, private uh, place where information could be shared among the patient and their team of providers. So as you know, to execute the Baildonine method, for instance, there's an oral health component, but trying to connect with dentists and uh, then nutritionists and exercise. Because, yeah, I, I actually have now a relationship with a with an optometrist uh, because they see this this disease process in the eye often before the rest of us do. So 
we needed a place to collaborate and what better place is in the cloud. Um, and that's, that's where we are with uh, CureLink. And we're in the late stages of development of, of that platform and about ready to go to market to bring other, uh, bring it to other uh, clinicians like you and I, so that we can hopefully streamline the communication process. Because really, I think the biggest thing, the science is, very, is actually, once you learn it, it's fairly straightforward. It's pretty exciting. But the, tr the real challenge is the communication and connection. Um, and what's really been exciting to me is that COVID, as, as terrible as it's been, it's really opened up a whole vista of opportunity around telehealth uh, because now patients can access it using their insurance benefits in a way that they couldn't before. Yep. So I worked with several different companies, uh, MD Live, uh, <coughs> the second largest telemedicine group um, for years, helped run that as the chief medical officer. I went there from a from a group called Premise, uh, mm -hmm. providing help for Google, Microsoft, uh, Goldman Sachs, you know, just uh, over 700 different clinics, primary care, but mostly prevention helping people uh, understand this kind of stuff that you and I talk about. And it always frustrated me that people felt like I've got to, I've got to be hands-on. I've got to be uh, where the doc can actually touch me. What they don't realize and what they're finally starting to get with, uh, you know, it's the sort of thing where I'm reminded of this all the time. I used to wish and pray over and over and over again, you know, help people understand that you, the biggest thing is in the head. It's our knowledge. And once you get that, that creates a whole new ballgame. You don't have to see every doctor. There are ways to get uh, invaluable knowledge, knowledge that, that will save your life. But you have to just talk. You don't have to be there. So in other words, the biggest challenge for all of these companies that I was working with was that patients wrapping their head around remote care. Well, be careful what you ask for. COVID has come along and now patients are getting it. There's a way to save your life. And no, there's not a prevention expert in every town. There's very few of us around, but you can access them. I've got patients all over the world literally all over the world, uh, Shanghai, uh, Asia, Thailand, uh, the Philippines, mm -hmm. uh, Middle East, uh, England, uh, South America, Brazil. Uh, but the vast majority of my patients are right here in the U.S., but they still, I still see very few of them hands-on. Like OAG, I occasionally get to see somebody hands-on, but most of the time, it's talking the way you and I are doing right now. Yeah. But it also involves some other stuff. It involves some things like CIMT, some things like some lab tests. And you've got some very interesting things in terms of, like I said earlier, CIMT is a screening test. It's a, it's a test that's a lot better than a stress test because it helps us understand, uh, do we have plaque? because plaque is that intermediary between the original metabolism problem, the insulin resistance, the prediabetes, and the heart attack and stroke and dementia that happen later on. It's plaque. So we need to know it's critical. If we don't have plaque, we're not going to have the other problems. 
Right. If we do have plaque, we need to be afraid. We need to be very afraid. Right. And before I, as you can see, I'm setting you up to talk about your, your butterfly program, but put me in coach. Uh, just give me one more second before I do in terms of importance. So there's all this discussion. We're going to be talking about baby aspirin and prevention in a few, uh, in a few weeks. Again, I've been covering this for years and I, I have arguments with my old, old friends and colleagues at Hopkins and elsewhere and the American Board of Preventive Medicine and the College of Preventive Medicine, because the College of Preventive Medicine just came out with really big news. And it started with the Esprit trial a couple of years ago saying, well, you know what? We don't think you should be taking baby aspirin for primary prevention. Well, this is an area where Brad and Amy, Bale and Deneen actually had a step forward beyond the American College of Preventive Medicine in terms of saying, well, wait a minute, what do you mean by primary prevention? That's the key. Uh, for you and for other, for myself, we haven't been recommending baby aspirin for primary prevention for years. Right. Not at age 55, not at age 60, not at age 65, but Secondary prevention. In other words, if we know that somebody has plaque, once you have plaque, you've demonstrated that you're headed down that path. Now, that's the tricky part, though. That's the part that your standard medical doctor thinks he or she knows how to do, but really doesn't. So talk with us a little bit about how do you know if somebody has plaque? Well, you look, you know, Dr. McCoy and uh, the old Star Trek uh, series uh, didn't ask a lot of questions when a you know, crew member was brought into, into sick bay. You know, he just wa waved his tricorder over them, right? So uh, typically when I see a new patient, of course, I do spend a few minutes, you know, getting to know them a little bit. But before we go into an extensive history, I, my, my MO now is scan first, ask questions later. And so this all developed starting about three, I guess, three and a half, four years ago. I discovered, you know, this is the uh, GE's model of point of care ultrasound. $16,000, a real step forward. And I thought I had really, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread. And actually, I, um, I brought this to uh, uh, American Equilibration Society meeting where Brad and Amy were speaking. And I actually have a picture of me doing this, using this on, on Amy. <laughs> To, um, to look and, and as, as a way of demonstrating, because one of the problems with CIMT is, as you all know, there's a, there's a learning curve to, well, using it, but to performing it, you really should have a certified sonographer, in my opinion, doing it. Uh, and I think that's what um, Todd Eldridge and Joanne's, you know, both offer through their companies. But, you know, if I say to a patient, well, you should have a CIMT to screen for cardiovascular disease. Well, great. When can I get it done? Well, how about Two, two months from now when they're going to be in town. Uh, four hours from here to get it. Right, right. So now with point of care ultrasound, and, and I've gone through, th this is my third device. Started with the, the GE at a Sonon. Well, they're now just expensive uh, paperweights because uh, I gravitated about a year and a half ago to the Butterfly IQ. And this company is really interesting. There's not enough time to, to describe everything about it. You can... Look them up on the web, butterflynetwork.com. 
and they, they're uh, marketing this device primarily for COVID. But I, I knew right away when I saw it that it just had an awesome um, application. So let's, let's just see if you have disease. So I don't know if you can, I don't know if this will actually show or not, but probably not very well. But Oh, you're starting to get a little something there. Oh, keep it right there. Yep, yep. Okay, now, so people don't this- recognize that yet. But I did recognize you actually hit you actually hit that artery. Yeah, there's uh, the, there's my common carotid. Yep. And there it is in longitudinal view. There's yep. the, there's the internal. Now, now, I didn't get adept at that, you know, right away. Let's see if I can see any plaque. There's there's my plaque. See it? White yep. stuff popping in the popcorn. My internal carotid on the it's on the left side, the external on the right. So the the idea is, you know, okay, now you've got plaque. So you're now I'm I've got plaque. So I'm I've not had a heart attack, so I'm secondary prevention. I take aspirin. If I didn't have plaque, we take another we, the next step we would look at is the coronary calcium score. Because this is a lot quicker and easier and less radiation than coronary calcium score and more uh, can lead to a quantif quantitative exam. So I, I describe this as like a home pregnancy test. Um, it doesn't tell us how much or how far along or what kind of detail behind it. Uh, it just tells us that we need to go the next step. And then the CIMT with this information, now we have the patient's attention. I think um, OAG um, in his in the video you sent me about him used the expression, now that I have your attention. You know? yeah. And I think I think we, as physicians, we don't want to make our patients fearful, um, but in some cases we must. If we want to detect disease early, we put women through mammograms. We order PSAs on men. We do colonoscopies to detect cancer early. Why aren't we doing the same thing with arterial disease and diabetes, which are actually more common and more deadly as a as a group? Well, you know. We can talk about, you know, how the how well you've talked about how slow the medical profession and the industry has become at at adapting to new ways of thinking, and the surest way to slow things down is to make it economic. Um, and I think I'll just leave it at that for now. Um, things are very very slow to change. So you and I have the benefit of being sort of in control of our own speed and destiny, and we make changes if it's not working. So there's an expression: if you want to go fast. You go alone, but if you want to go far, you go together. And so I think you and I have been going fast alone. But as you alluded to earlier, I see an oppor- I think we both see an opportunity that by going together, maybe we can go further uh, in expanding this this uh, availability. So when I see that, uh, I say, okay, let's. The next step is to quantitate or measure your arterial your arterial wall thickness, your arterial age, to characterize the type of plaque you have. Get more details. Take sixty pictures instead of just four to six pictures and get the kind of report that can show us that we're actually making progress to make your arteries healthier over time. And, and I have examples I can show to, to prove, to demonstrate that. So speaking of examples, why don't you, and demonstration, you gave us a little bit of live demonstration on your own artery. I think you had uh, a video you were going to share with us. You want to do that? Let's do it. I can see the screen. Should I just go to my? Okay, I, I think I just go to my. Gilbert will pull it up. 
So you see my name here? And yep. you remember? Okay, super. So in the process of, uh, this is the uh, platform, uh, software platform that we've developed, and it's actually uh, mobile friendly. So I'll show you what it looks like. This is what it would look like on your smartphone in general. Uh, but I'm going to use the desktop version. Um, so this is how we organize all of our information. Now, this is the provider dashboard. Uh, we're, we're still in the process of developing, but here I have links to my EMR practice management system to Butterfly. We use an in-body a body composition analyzer, and on down all the other cloud-based uh, tools that we use. Um, but I want to show you, so here's an example. We have the, our, our dashboard here, if you will, starts out with a process, you know, how engaged is the patient? I'm using my own information because so I don't reveal anybody's private health information. And by the way, some of the information I'm going to show you is either conglomeration, de-identified information, or made up. So uh, I'm not I'm not revealing everything about myself here. It's it's, a, it's used for demonstration. So by you know we we put we ask the patient a series of a prospective patient a series of questions so that we can identify are they committed, open-minded, unable, or unwilling to participate, and what are the barriers that stand in the way, if any, so that we can get a clear picture. And you know why do why do you want to why do you want to be healthier? Why do you want to get better. So this gives you an example of the user interface and how it works. And we actually have patients doing this on their own, on their own time, on their own device. And then we can, we can estimate the level of engagement from couldn't care less to, um, you know, fully committed. So that's just an example of the user interface. And when I do a screening on a patient, we upload the information to this platform as an initial statement. So I, what I've done is I've, um, We've, let's say we found plaque on their screening. Uh, we'd recommend they have a CIMT core labs and consultation. And then, so here's what's kind of fun. We can take the link from their images that are stored in the butterfly cloud, plop that into the software and go to it directly. So this is an example of someone uh, that I screened who has a little bit of plaque. There it is right there. A little bit of, I always say to people, a little bit of plaque is like having a little bit of cancer. And I just or kind being of, a little bit pregnant. I'm sorry. Or, or like the old term, being a little bit pregnant. Yeah, I'm careful how I use that with whom whom I use it. But yeah, it comes in pretty handy sometimes with the old. With so old me, now that I've interrupted, Craig, stop mm -hmm. for a second and go back and sh and orient the the rest of us to what you're looking at in terms of the artery where you're in how the um, Show sure. us where the interrogation would have been. Uh, help people understand because right now what they're seeing is a, a bunch of white and dark uh, images. Right. So this circle, your, your common carotid artery, looking at it like down the tube, uh, should look like a black circle. And when we play it, you see it's pulsating. And this area right in here that interrupts this nice black circle is at least thickening, if not atherosclerotic plaque or a bump in the uh, coronary, in the carotid artery. And what goes on in the carotids is generally also going on in the, um, <clears throat> in the coronary is only maybe more for generally more advanced. So arterial disease progresses from a normal healthy artery wall 
uh, lipids are acted upon with an inflammatory process and leads to the formation of a pimple or boil or uh, what we call plaque. And it's plaque rupture that leads to an event and obstruction. So we can reverse, if we identify it, we can reverse this process. So keep this schematic in mind when you're uh, looking at this image. So we, I, I'm looking at, I have the probe oriented in what I call cross-sectional view. Uh, we're coming up there. Here's the internal and external carotid artery branches. And we come back down through the bifurcation back into the common carotid artery, rotate the probe 90 degrees. Now we're seeing the image in what's called longitudinal view. And this here is the intima media layer. And just subjectively, I would say that looks a little thick to me. It yeah. does get thicker as, on average as we get older, um, but um, it, it is somewhat helpful. Now, when when uh, Todd Eldridge uh, and CardioRisk do a CIMT, they actually measure this in the last one centimeter of the uh, common carotid artery in three different orientations. So they get a whole bunch of data points, put it in the machine, come up with the uh, average uh, CIMT measurement or arterial age. So I have a protocol. We do the right side first. We do the video. Then we do a still capture of any disease that we see. And then we move on to the left. Uh, that's the first time I've had a, a visitor drop. You know, it's, it's funny about uh, the technology. We keep talking about it. And uh, I was very, I, and I usually am, very open about hating technology. But, you know, and somebody said, Doc, you're a, you're a, um, a telemedicine specialist. Why do you talk about hating technology so much? So back on just a second, I'll finish and, and let you get started again. So they said, Doc, you're totally dependent on technology. You do telemedicine. Why do you complain about it all the time? I said, you know, it's like a spouse. You can't, sometimes you can't live without them, but I mean, you can't live, with them. You can't live without them. And it, it's a, it's a, a problem of what we do. I mean, so I can't tell you the number of times I've had comments on the channel of, oh, I wish you lived in um, Torrance, California. I wish you lived in Canada. I wish you lived. I can't live everywhere in the in the country, let alone the world. And so it's like uh, this is so much better than we've ever, ever had in terms of access, you know. Every uh, every uh, answer creates a whole bunch of new questions. Every problem creates, oh, I mean, every uh, solution creates a whole bunch of new problems. And yes, this is a solution, but it brings a few problems with it as well. So, Craig, you dropped off. Um, I don't oh. know if if you can. You were basically describing the images themselves, right? Um, I don't know if it's worth going back to those images. I think we've we've looked at them. I think people have a good idea of what's going on. Um, I had actually gone into question and answers. Um, okay. Is there anything uh, last uh, comments you want to make in terms of your general presentation before we get into Q and A? Well, maybe just a minute or two on what happens after the uh, this screening process takes place. Um, <laughs> If I can get back to, I'll share my screen again. Um, so when we, um, I, I was going to show you, uh, this is a, an example that I did yesterday just to show you a more dramatic disease. This is the gentleman who, who was, 
We're not seeing you. We're seeing you, but we're not seeing your screen. Uh, I think your guys are controlling the share screen. Uh, maybe I, let's see here. Maybe I need to do that myself. Oh, here. When, I, when everything was lost, we lost everything. Okay, now we should be able to. Uh, here, okay. Can you see it now? Yep. All right. So our, our next step with that information is we schedule uh, a CIMT, uh, but we also schedule them for labs. And then we, um, when this, these things are done, we usually allow about 10 to 14 days and get together to review their results uh, in what I call setting up their cure plan. Um, actually, what I've started to, um, uh, I was going to show an example of a more dramatic um, so this was actually the other spectrum. This is a gentleman who I worked with his daughter and he was on his way to being referred to a uh, vascular surgeon because he had 100% occlusion of his left carotid artery and about 50% occlusion of his right carotid artery. So here we have again, there is his almost a, you know 50% occluded internal carotid artery on the right. And we'll go here to the left. Now here is this totally occluded credit artery on the left. Um, but I, we're going to work to reverse his disease because he's completely asymptomatic. And uh, I think many people might be shocked to learn that this isn't a surgical problem. This is a, this is a medical lifestyle problem. And it has a, should have a medical and lifestyle solution to reverse his uh, disease. So we, you know, we utilize that information to provoke action. This is our quantitative test. This is the, you know, the, one of the types of reports that uh, Ford's been talking about for, for, for CIMT, but the ability to deliver this um, imaging, initial imaging on the spot, on the go, has just been a game changer. Um, and then the other technology we use, I, I mentioned it earlier, is body composition analysis. So uh, we have, uh, it, I, I guess it's okay to mention brand brands in, in particular, but this is uh, the Embody 570. Uh, we call it the Judge. This is actually a home version of, that uh, you can purchase uh, on Amazon. Um, but the the point is it gives us the kind of data and feedback that allows us to get really into the details. And we use visceral fat level as a surrogate marker for, for insulin resistance. So if, if a patient has a visceral fat level of over 10, um, we, we presume that they're insulin resistant and, and work with them to try to bring that visceral fat level down. And, and uh, as Ford's been preaching all along, it's really about our, our mantra is, can you cut out, sweets, including artificial sweeteners, starches, and snacks for the next two weeks and come back and, and see. I've actually orient, reoriented my, my language from calling it the judge. That's the first step. From then on, it becomes the coach. Uh, so the, the, the idea is that we want to, um, and I think we need to stop sharing a screen at this point. Um, we want to put the patient in a program where they get personal training or coaching. I think 
many of the tools that you provide allow people to do a do it yourself version of it but let's face it at some point we we all kind of get stuck and if we can access it i think the next stage that you're offering when they become a patient is you become their personal coach their personal trainer and that that's where you see the best results because then you get down into some of the things that they may not have thought about or overlooked and we see it all the time in our patients as we go through their checklist very good so thank you very much and i tell you what we're going to go i've got some limits today i've got uh, a lot of people coming through a lot of people um, getting care uh, channel yeah. care and if you have if you'd like to get care with us, um, Gilbert, if you could show them the telephone number they can call. And um, Craig, if you will, uh, what we we talked about before this meeting uh, and before I got started with you is setting up something where we can um, we can put uh, links on each other's website to help folks access each other. That I think that would be helpful. Absolutely. Uh, so Bart Robinson, so we're going to do a few Q&A. We try to do as many as we can. Again, we've got a busy day, so we're going to need to get uh, see if we can get through some of them. Bart Robinson, I think Bart's in New Jersey. Uh, not sure if you could uh, remind us, Bart. We'd appreciate it. Um, good morning to you as well, and good morning, Vagabond Sojourner. Fort Worth West Side. Got my cardio risk IMT done. Arteries of a 53-year-old. I'm so jealous. When I was 55, I had mine done, 56, and I had arteries of a 73-year-old. Why? Um, I, you know, I was, I never had an obesity problem. I got some genetics issues uh, and some, um, oh, I'm blanking on the term. I'm having a senior moment. It's not, uh, what, it's not genetics, but it's epigenetics. I had some epigenetics issues. I was a 10 and a half pound baby. And you're much more likely to have diabetes when you get older, no matter whether you get obese or not, um, because your mom had some diabetes when you were uh, in utero. Uh, my dad also uh, was obese, uh, 350 pounds at the time I was conceived. A couple of very significant risk factors for prediabetes and diabetes as we get older, which we're only now just uh, beginning to discover. Back when I was born, 64 years ago, 10 and a half pounds was a fat, happy baby. Today, it's a baby that's uh -oh, got significant risk for it. So again, I'm jealous, Fort Worth Westside. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, calcium score uh, 2013. Don't be too concerned about that. It's not so much about having calcium and how much calcium you have. That does make a difference, but it's also about getting that uh, calcium, getting that plaque stabilized. The worst part is having plaque that's soft, that has no calcium in it. And I can't tell you the number of patients, we covered this uh, a few weeks ago, the number of patients that we have come in, they'll have, um, they'll get their life in order. They'll get, uh, they'll lose the pounds if they need to. They will uh, start exercising. They'll get right with sleep, lose 30 pounds, and say, I'm going to go back and get a calcium score and expect to do a victory lab. And I see you shaking your head because then they'll, they'll calcify all that plaque and their calcium score jumps up and they say, oh, my gosh, uh, this is going the wrong way. It's not working. And it's like, oh, you did the exact wrong thing. Can, so can, I, can I just comment? 
a fool with a, a fool with a tool is still a fool if they don't know how to use it right. Well, and and you know, I I know you're not calling our patients fools, but you got to know a, a tool is a tool, just like you're saying. You got to know what the tool's telling you and how to use it. Um, so Janet Bartlett, so proud of Dr. Bax. Well, that's 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 not fair. She's my sister. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's still fair. Uh, I don't know if my sister would say, my sister would say she's proud. Uh, Bart Robinson, good job, Fort Worth. Hoping to get in CIMT. Uh, Steve Carter, good morning. Uh, Del, Deep, I hope I pronounced this correctly. Deef Allah Bani Hamad, Jordan. Thank you so much, Deef, for joining us, and thank you for sharing. I've had people from Kuwait, Iraq. Not sure. Uh, several other places, uh, Israel, several other places in the Mideast. I don't think I've had somebody from Jordan. Thank you so much for sharing. Jonathan Hull. Good morning, Dr. B. Dr. Eldridge was in town. Uh, my wife and I got our CIMTs. Thanks for the great information. <clears throat> thank you for listening and thank you for acting on it, Jonathan. Deef Allah, love your knowledge. Thank you, Deef. I appreciate it. And it's those kind of comments that make it worthwhile. Steve Carter, the saliva test for periodontal disease. Very interesting. Yes, it is. Very interesting. Uh, Fort Worth West Side. For those of you who don't know, there's you can the bacteria in your mouth uh, can vary depending on uh, your diabetes situation, your heart attack and stroke risk. And we people have noticed and uh, mentioned that for decades that you know, for some reason, if I have bleeding gums or periodontitis, uh, there's an increased risk for heart attack and stroke. Well, again, kudos to Brad and Amy. They worked with um, uh, Dave. Uh, oh, I'm blanking on David's last name. Um, and Dave and uh, James were on my channel uh, a few months ago and actually showed some research indicating that this association is not only true, the association between uh, gum disease and heart disease, it goes both ways. Um, it's really clear that there's a A versus B or a, or a C causes A and B. What am I talking about in an epidemiology term? So here's what I mean. The same thing that causes gum disease also causes heart disease. And that is something we've mentioned many, many times. The same thing that probably caused Dr. Back's uh, plaque in his artery and for sure caused the plaques in mine. And that is some insulin resistance, uh, inability to me metabolize glucose. And that's why he and I have talked about that so much. That's why obesity is a major risk factor for this problem. It's also why age is a bigger risk factor for this problem. So, yes. Prediabetes can cause gum disease as well. So if you've got bleeding gums, be afraid. Be very afraid. Fort Worth West Side, been on your suggested low-dose Crestor for about six months. I have heart plaque, hard plaque. Is it ne still necessary to stay on statin if other inflammation markers are normal? I have no problem to take it, though. Craig, you want to take that one? If it ain't broke, why fix it? Um, <clears throat> part of the reason why you're improving is that you're on an anti-inflammatory drug, which is Crestor. 
Yeah, we expect your uh, uh, that benefit to go away. I, I've actually personally experienced this. I got cocky one time thinking the same thing. I went off of the statin and I saw about a 10-year increase in my arterial age. The next CIMT went back on it again. It went back down. Now, that's not proof, but it's enough for me to understand that if you are on a medication that controls the underlying root cause of inflammation, now it's not, you know, LDL cholesterol is part of the problem, but it's not, we, we have, we've been prescribing statins at too high a dose for the wrong reasons to lower LDL and not at enough at lower doses to control inflammation and still get the same results. But so when you start getting the more detailed measurements that Ford and I do, uh, CIMT, the inflammatory markers like PLA2, myeloperoxidase, microalbumin creatinine ratios, you start seeing the correlation between these, the benefits of these lower doses of these medications, which makes them safer and more tolerable. I know Ford has said many times he was a statin hater. I've never been a statin hater, but I'm less of an enthusiast than I am now because I know now how they work and, and why they should be used. Well, I am a uh, reformed statin hater. Okay. So, and uh, I would share uh, from my perspective is the is the very same. In fact, I've done a series on videos about coming off statins. The bottom line on every one of them is don't do it. It's dangerous. Steve Carter, reading prevention myths now. Well, thank you, Steve. Bart, very sorry to hear about OAG. Me too. He'll he will be missed. Sorry to hear about OAG. That's from James Cantor. Uh, I know you're really fond of him. Yes, I was. The book is excellent. I'll pass it on to my doctor. Thank you, Bart. I hope your doctor just takes a few minutes. You know, he can use it to just look stuff up. He doesn't have to sit down and wade through the whole thing. PT Health. Sorry to hear about OAG. We'll check out his channel. Thanks. So appreciate that. Steve Carter. Uh, Craig? Could I just make one comment about passing along information to other doctors? Uh, I think there's many of them would probably use that information for their own benefit, their family and their friends. But in many cases, because they're employed in these vertic vertically integrated systems, they may be somewhat limited or very limited in what they can actually offer to their patients. It's a very, very distinct irony. And I'll just leave it at that. It is. You know, I used to stay away from the financial thing. And I know you've touched on it a couple of times. I always tried to assume the best about people. And uh, I've made a living out of hiring and managing docs. Uh, um, I'm a big fan of docs. But you're right. There's clearly some financial issues that go on as well. There's a great uh, series of, of articles in a book uh, by... Uh, Oh, another senior moment. I keep having these senior moments. Atul Gawande. Yeah, Atul Gawande. What's the name of that book? Oh, I'm, I'm blocking on that too, but yeah. They, he's, they talk uh, about the place in Texas where they just basically, the image was a human as a cash register. McAllen, and, Texas. What's that? McAllen, Texas. McAllen, Texas. And the bottom line is, Many docs, many clinics, many entire hospitals, their entire financial system, their profits, everything are built on doing a stress test, followed by a uh, cath lab, followed by a stent, all the procedures. The slippery and, slope you mentioned many times. What's that? The slippery slope you mentioned. Yeah, many that slippery slope. 
And again, if your doc says, let's do a stress test, I would also say be be very afraid. Think about it before you go down that path. PT right. Health, sorry to hear about OAG. We'll check out. Oh, okay. We skipped over. Now, this is an interesting one, if this is the one I'm thinking about. Gator Beer Geek, 6'3", male, 290, A1C of 11.8 in April. Man, doing a lot of damage to your arteries at that point. Uh, diabetic ketoacidosis. For those of you who don't know, and I see Craig, an internist, looking at that thinking, yep, that's not a surprise. And MI. What's the MI mean? Myocardial infarction, heart attack. Loss of muscle tissue, probably, unless they got to it early enough. But look what he did for himself. Now look what happened. And it's the point you've been making, Craig. You know, when you we talked about you coming on board, you said, 40, you comfortable talking about a cure? Absolutely. I mean, that's what Gator Beer Geek's talking about right now. Now, 212 pounds, decrease the A1C to 5 or 5.0 using keto, diet, lifestyle, should I be coming off metformin? Okay, now that's an interesting question, and we may have uh, more than one opinion. I know that I have more than one opinion about it. And I'll share. I'll share both of them with you. On the one hand, you could say, "Well, <clears throat> um, he, here's maybe some of the case for saying not to. If you're on keto, uh, you're also with metformin taking something that could drop your blood sugar. And so it can be dangerous to drop blood sugar. I will also say this though, and I will, and let me, let me share. I've got a couple of videos where I had hypoglycemic episodes. They were went in the first few months of going on uh, metformin. And yes, in the same months I'd been pre-diabetic for a while, standard, not the standard American diet, uh, a low fat, but high carb diet and switched, found out about my metabolic problems, switched, started metformin and dropped carbs at the same time. Also dropped about 10, 15 pounds, got hypoglycemic a couple of times. And that is an ugly place to be. It's even uglier if you're operating machinery like a car, it can be lethal. So that's the case for going off of the metformin. The case for, for staying on it would be after you've been in a lower carb lifestyle, after you've been taking metformin, both of those, your body gets far more used to. You see, there's a, there's a, uh, a nucleus in the brain, and correct me if I'm, if I'm misremembering, is it the ventromedial nucleus? It's one of the nuclei in the brain. It's sort of like a thermostat in your, for heat in your house. It keeps measurement of your glucose values and it stimulates your um, liver to make more glucose if your glucose is dropping or it stimulates your pancreas to, uh, to release insulin if it's going up too high. As we get more and more insulin resistant, we start getting more and more used to running hot or hyperglycemic. It takes a few months to, uh, to get back down to a teenager level where your fasting glucose is 80 um, and where you're used to those kind of numbers. So um, once you've become accustomed to it, I don't see nearly as much risk. So those are my two opinions. Craig, you got anything to add to that? Well, I could probably come up with three opinions if we try hard enough. But I, I, my, my attitude is if 
you know, he's he's essentially cured his diabetes with lifestyle. Metformin is a drug, as Brad and Amy commonly say, you know, they're poisons. You know, sometimes they're useful poisons. Um, less is more. I, I would I would say you can you stop it. You've got great ways to measure whether it's being successful or not, whether you're maintaining your A1C. Um, and if, if you see a, a deterioration in your data, then you can go back on it again. It's not irreversible. It, uh, all these, the, the nice thing about the, the fun part about what we do is, is that we have time to think about these things and be proactive and plan. I, I, I describe that we're, we're cruising down the middle lane of the highway. We're not in that right-hand lane dealing with all the on and off ramps. We're not over here in the left-hand lane where all the procedures and exciting stuff is happening, but the mishaps, we, we can plan and proactively have a strategy that uh, is much more effective and a lot less exciting, but a lot more calm uh, in dealing with these diseases. Very good. We're going to need to move on. I've, again, I've got I've got a full day of patient care and want to try to get to a few more of these questions. But thanks for that for that uh, that perspective. I agree with you. We need to stay middle of the lane. And the other thing I'll agree with is the point that especially with something like metformin, you can try it both ways. Go off it for a while, go on it. And I will tell you this, a lot of folks are, are uh, don't agree with this, but I tend to pulse um, my metformin. I don't take it every day of the week. Um, I got some reasons. I don't, I'd love to debate it sometimes. Maybe you can come back on and we can talk about pros and cons. Barry Davis, in order of importance, this is a good one as well. What is the most impact on reducing insulin? Losing weight if overweight, decreasing carbohydrates, exercise, anything else. Sleep is a big, big deal. Uh, stress is a big deal. Um, I would be interested in your perspective, Craig. So in terms of these two things, um, dropping carbs versus dropping body fat. I struggle. I keep flip-flopping over which is more important. The bottom line is dropping carbs keeps your sugar levels appropriate on a day-by-day basis. But it's sort of like tr trying to struggle and climb uphill. If you've got too much body fat, it's really hard to maintain. Once you get that body fat off, you've got a lot more flexibility. So, Craig, please give us your thoughts about uh, well, I, I we just see tremendous success when we get people to cut out the sweet start, sweets and starches, uh, and they do lose body fat because we're monitoring it, you know, at each visit with the body composition. Um, so I, I just see them as as the cause and effect uh, of um, eliminating carbs um, from the diet. We don't now we're not eliminating all carbs. We're we're still getting carbs and vegetables, you know, the cruciferous vegetables, but basically refined grains, processed foods, uh, sweets, <clears throat> and all the things that raise insulin levels. And to, in my mind, the key thing is let's get those insulin levels down. Hyperinsulinemia is is a uh, a, a, a recipe for chronic inflammation. Um, two things I, I would just add. Uh, make sure your vitamin D is optimized, not just normal, but optimized. Uh, normal is above 30, optimized is 50 to 80, uh, and it's unlikely you're getting toxicity even with 5,000 units a day. And then um, we've had a, a lot of su success with uh, berberine or bergamot uh, as, a, as a supplement. 
um, and it has some very interesting properties. I, got, I could talk for an hour about Bergamot BPF and what it does, um, but, but that's been very helpful uh, for many of our patients who need a kickstart or additional help with their insulin resistance. Uh, but yes, yeah, sleep is absolutely uh, critical. And what'll, the other thing you'll find out if you do these things, you, your blood pressure will normalize if you have hypertension. Yeah. Uh, reduce the risk of atrial fibrillation in addition to seeing improvement in, our, in arterial health. Another thing we should talk about it when we get time is this whole thing about uh, essential or idiopathic hypertension. Yeah, it does. It, it's usually prediabetes and it's just docs don't get it. Um, so this is my sweet wife, Janice Derrickson. Uh, thank you for your tribute to OAG. She knows he, he meant a lot. He was, he, again, I, I got such a kick out of seeing that first comment. Hey doc, uh, I took your test. I didn't have prediabetes. I had full blown diabetes. You know, OAG was very concerned about his own docs cause he's a big fan of his docs and you don't have to be a bad doc to miss diabetes. You don't. Really, really good docs miss diabetes. It happens all the time. Um, Bart, getting good sleep helps. Thanks, Bart. Bart, uh, Dr. Bax, you hinted your approach was different from Ford's. How were you different? I think we covered that. Yeah. Uh, we could talk more about it, but again, we, uh, we need to get through some of these questions if we can. Jonathan Hull, Dr. Bax, what test do you use? We talked about that. And what test do you use on an ongoing basis? You, how often do you do that butterfly screen? Well, if they have no identifiable plaque and they have a negative coronary calcium score, I would say, you know, if you're 50 years old, why not do it every year? Uh, it, it's, it doesn't take long. It's not very costly. Uh, if you're 30, you know, you might want to wait, you know, three or five years to be retested. It's all all up to the individual. But then again, that depends on risk. I've done this on a 26 year old recently and found early disease. Her mother had a heart attack at age 47, yeah. strong family history. So, um, you know, why, why not? It's so simple. I've gotten a few of these and you're not going to do a. You're, you're not going to see a lot of people. And I, I'd be concerned too. I wouldn't do a calcium score on a 20 year old, but I would do one of these and I've done several of them. Usually it's somebody whose parent is a patient of mine. They know they've got risk. And most of the 20-year-olds that I've seen had problems. So speaking of testing and screening, Amy Dietz is trying to get a craft insulin survey paid for, at least in part, by insurance. That may or may not happen, but I'm told you cannot request a test without provider order because of the needed coding, CPT code, not cut code. Any help you can give. Yes. Uh, and uh, Gilbert, if you will show the telephone number, uh, Michelle can help you get set up. We, we do that a lot, uh, Amy. And the number is 859-721-1414. Can I just make a plea? <clears throat> you know, please don't let insurance companies determine what you get for your health. You know, if you're willing to spend a little, it's not a lot of money out of pocket. It's your, for heaven's sake, it's your health. You know, and if you uncover a serious chronic condition that you can get a heads up on, how do you how do you put a price on that? I think we've got we've been brainwashed into thinking that because it used to be that insurance paid because of medical necessity, that now we've flipped it over and said, well, only insurance pays for if it is isn't paid for by insurance, it's not medically necessary. That is nonsense. You know, don't be no, penny wise and pound foolish. 
Compare this to the cost of a TV. We're talking two to four hundred bucks yeah. uh, for the for a full blown uh, craft style or in, OGTT with insulin response. A TV, a car, or even a house. Oh. And believe it or not, once you start doing this, this makes more of an impact on your life than a house. About the first five minutes in the emergency room when you're having a stroke or a heart attack and the cost of the rehab afterward. Tens of thousands of bucks, 50. And if you have a if you end up getting admitted, we're talking one hundred hundred fifty thousand dollars. CPT codes. Yeah. Bart, good question, Amy. I was wondering the same thing. So hope we uh, gave some good info on that. Randy Ducorn, I absolutely love this technology. Today, we have all the facts and evidence about diet and nutrition. We also have these technology to detect. There's no excuse for prevent for not preventing cardiovac, uh, re preventing or reversing cardiovascular disease. Any comments? Oh, I mean, I agree. We're in a great time and uh, opportunity. And I think I'll just make another comment about COVID. The other thing, that co two things that COVID has done is exposed the previous pandemic, that is, cardiovascular disease and diabetes that makes COVID a killer. Without those, without those conditions, COVID would be mostly an inconvenience, but it's the, these are the comorbidities that kill people when they get COVID. I think you would agree with that. Right. And the second thing is that COVID has revealed just how broken our healthcare system is when it comes to health. It, it, it is quite dysfunctional in many ways. Uh, and I think it's very, you say buyer beware, I would say, be proactive. It's your health. Take control of it. You know, don't, don't get brainwashed into thinking that the healthcare system cares about your health. <laughs> I mean, they, I'm just going to say this. In, 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 as in social media, we're not the customer. We're the product. The customer is the payer. And I, I think that uh, those on this channel who are doing this are great examples of just exactly that attitude. I'm going to I'm not going to play according to those rules because I don't, you know, if I, I'll make the sacrifice necessary to do it and see the doctors who will help me. That's a really, really good point. And I've said many times, it's not a, it's not, like you said, it's not a COVID uh, pandemic. It's yet another version of the pre-diabetes pandemic. And that's the pandemic that's killing. I mean, we got into the, into the absolute depths of the number of patients per, uh, or the number of people dying per week with that. And it's still barely compared to the number of people dying routinely with heart attack, stroke, and other diabetes related things. Uh, thank you, Steve, <coughs> technology as well. Vagabond Sojourner, how much does the butterfly cost? Is it similar to OGM for giving patient I don't know what OGM means. Um, Oral glucose? Yeah, monitor, like a, maybe a, like a... Maybe CGM, continuous yeah. glucose monitoring. So the probe is, I think, $2,400. <clears throat> dramatically lower in cost. The, you know, the comparable machine you see in the hospital, maybe fifty seventy five thousand dollars $75,000. This doesn't do everything that does, but it does a lot. And then there's a $400 a year uh, cloud storage access fee. Um, so, it, but I, I find it, I find it financed it for $71 and 40 cents a month. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm not I doubt that's the real question. What does it cost a patient? Oh, oh, oh. Uh, so we charge ninety nine dollars uh, to do the butterfly ultrasound and the uh, body composition analysis, um, and it takes about fifteen minutes. We spend about another fifteen minutes going over the results and short and sharing with them what the opportunity is to reverse the underlying condition. Um, so that, that compares to one hundred fifty dollars for a lifeline screening. Um, or and another key thing is that having identified the disease, we because our when we do a, a CIMT, we measure velocities and meet the criteria for billing for uh, insurance and Medicare. So the CIMT cost is then uh, generally covered by third party payers because we're treating a condition, we're not doing a screening CIMT. Very helpful, thank you so much. So, moving along, Asadul Islam, can ozone therapy help? Don't think so. I think I'd focus on some of the other things that we're talking about. Uh, Heck Lance, a wealth of knowledge to help a sick population. Thanks from Nova Scotia. Thank you, Heck. Great to hear that feedback. Peter Gervais, I've been using intermittent fasting as described by Jason Fung. I'm a major Jason Fung fan. I'm a major fasting fan. I'm a major intermittent fasting fan. Lowered A1C and lost 40 pounds. You saved your life. You probably saved a decade or two. Fasting covers a multitude of sins. When people slip up on their diet, if they're, if they're at least slipping up within a shorter window of time, I call it window feeding, uh, eating within a six to eight hour window. Uh, they, they cover a lot of sins. Absolutely. The uh, uh, Peter shares his calcium score was 400. At 69, that's not too bad. That's not bad at all. I've got a lot of folks with a lot worse, and we've had some share today, over 2,000. Bart, yes, sir. I'm in southern New Jersey, little old Woodstown. Thank you so much, Bart. We appreciate that. Michael Tolan, hi. I have good gum health, but I'm brushing my teeth several times a night because of math, mouth acidity. Any idea why this is? Sorry. Steve Carter, what about the liver issues with Crestor? I'm on five milligrams now waking at 3 a.m. every morning. Any comments? I would not worry about liver toxicity with a statin, especially at that very low dose. And I'm not sure what the waking at 3 a.m. might be other than I would be test. I would see somebody about being tested for sleep apnea. Uh, I've had 3 a.m. awakening my, ever since my early 20s. And yeah, it's more sleep apnea than anything else. We're doing a series on sleep. What's interesting is, and we were talking about that this morning, sleep and sleep apnea, sleep problems are a major underlying cause of insulin resistance. And they just don't get the eyeballs. They, people do not put the attention into sleep that they put into so many other things. The other comment Three early morning awakening terminal insomnia is a classic symptom for major depression as well. But I will say, and I used to prescribe a lot more antidepressants before I got my patients to cut out sugar and processed foods. I'm, a, I'm absolutely convinced that sugar is a drug and it causes a brain fog that is indistinguishable from depression. So one of the things that can improve sleep is reducing your body fat by reducing the sugar and carb intake. And that too will help the sleep apnea. So they all tend to go together. Uh, sleep's very important though. 
Mike Muller, CT 276, uh, 211, uh, left anterior descending. That's what people call the, the uh, Widowmaker. Instituted lifestyle changes. Fasting blood sugar went from 103 to less than 80. Congratulations to you. Excellent work. A1C dropped from 5.6 to 5. Not a surprise. Blood pressure from 120 over 80 to 110 over 55. No statins yet. I've been exercising consistently for over a decade. Main focus is diet, low carbs, and time-restricted eating, which have made big changes in my numbers. Thank you so much, Mike. You're a uh, success story. And it's like OAG said, you know, some uh, this content's all here. It's all free. Just take the time to learn it. And that's what you did. Michael Toland, acid blockers like omeprazole cause heart issues long-term. They do cause issues. Um, any alternatives? Well, I, I think the biggest alternative, the question I would have is what's causing the problem in the first place. Uh, Craig, as an internist, you may want to add to that. Well, one of the things I found is that cutting out sugar and processed foods seems to eliminate a lot of the reflux issues that a lot of our patients had. And I include myself in that. Um, I thought it was the acid from the tomatoes. It's actually the sugar. And of course, losing weight re reduces reflux as well. And my understanding is that uh, particularly with the PPIs, the proton pump inhibitors, it's a change in the microbiome that may be contributing to uh, some of the metabolic issues with these drugs. So uh, you can get off of them if you, if you do the lifestyle changes. Very good. Janet Bartlett, Dr. Fung changed my life. PT health, October 12th, 2021, LDL at 231, HDL at 60, triglycerides at 60, October 26, LDL at 109, HDL at 69, triglycerides at 60. Started five milligrams of Crestor on October 14th. Is it possible to lower LDL by 122 points in two weeks? It's possible, but it's not likely. You know, one of the things I wonder about uh, with PT, with you, PT, is you may want to watch our channel in the next couple of weeks. We've got a fellow named Dave Feldman coming on board, and he's, he talks about a thing called lean mass hyperresponder. I'm guessing from the numbers that I'm seeing with your HDL at 69 and your triglycerides at 60 that you very well may already be on a low-carb diet. And uh, that's one of the things that you can tend to see with some people going on low-carb diets. They tend to get, it's called lean mass hyperresponders. You get a, an increased HDL, a decreased triglyceride, but your LDL goes out the roof. Now with you, is that a possibility? It's certainly a possibility. Um, any other comments on that before I move on, Craig? That's a pretty extreme drop, but I have seen close to that after instituting Crestor. Um, this is one of the things I found most useful, especially for the statin, the statin skeptics, is taking Crestor two to three days a week. Um, I would say we see similar improvement in lipids and in IMT. And I've, I've, and I've switched to routinely starting people on statins to taking Crestor every other day rather than every day. Um, and then only increasing it if I feel we need to because we're not getting the desired outcomes. I do a lot of that as well. James Miller had added, he, he wanted to hear about the antacid component. Jonathan Hull, how would someone take bergamot to obtain a maximum expected decrease in LDL? 
uh, one month. Uh, to me, I think one month is a is a, uh, a good number. Any any comment from you, Craig? Uh, I'd I'd love to be able to test in one month because so many of our our patients, are, you know are kind of beholden to their insurance coverage. We kind of are limited often to do the lipids every three months, but I think any one to three months would be a good indication. I wouldn't check it a week later. I'd wait at least at least a month. So James brings up a good point. And (laughs) these dietary and lifestyle things, it's not just a diet. You go on it, you lose a few pounds and you go back, you go back, you gain the weight back real fast. And you get back into trouble real fast. Uh, what dose of bergamot, bergamot do you use? Uh, bergamot BPF is uh, it's an orthomolecular product. It's two capsules nightly. Um, it, I'm going to, lately I've been combining it with low dose resuvastatin and getting some interesting results from a lower dose. So it just cuts the cost in half. That's the only knock I would say on bergamot of it, is it runs about $40 a month and it's not covered by insurance. So that, but many people are willing to pay that price to stay off of a statin. And thankfully we have something that uh, offer them that is effective and doesn't give them diabetes. It actually improves their insulin sensitivity. Uh, Embryolistus, great respect for what you do, Dr. B. Any comments on ceramides? Um, I, I do have one. Why don't you go first, uh, Craig, and then I'll. I'm not familiar with it, so I'm going to pass it right back to you. Rather than, than, that's a a great question, but I'll just say this. Rather than um, go into a bunch of information on it, uh, take a look at my video on the secret life of fat cells. And we talk about, uh, there was some good discussion about uh, ceramides in that. James Miller, butterfly test. Okay. Bart Robinson, can I assume bergamot is safe to take? Yes. With Crestor. Yes. Rich, Rick Key, I haven't been able to use my PPAP machine and get a good night's sleep. What are the alternatives? There's a bunch of oral device alternatives. <laughs> As Craig said, start with some of the basics. The biggest thing is sleep hygiene. And that's a whole big thing. That's the most common issue. Uh, but some of us blow right past that. Again, I've tried several uh, oral devices. Diet's a big issue. Um, excess body fat. I mean, that pushes that uh, soft palate and tongue back into the to the airway. Sleeping on your side versus sleeping on your back. There's a lot of other things. Uh, it's a huge, huge topic, Rick. Peter Gervais, starting using K2 as a result of your videos is 100 milli- 120 milligrams a day enough, how many units of D2? So it's not milligrams, it's micrograms, Peter. And um, well, I will say this, for most of us, it's uh, micrograms. A normal dose that you'll see with normal supplementation is about 100 micrograms. To me, I think that's way too little. The only uh, um, clinical trial I've seen on this actually did have a positive impact on prediabetes with middle-aged men and it was 400 micrograms. Now, K2 is also given for um, osteoporosis, and you get mega doses with that in terms of milligrams. Uh, the highest dose I've seen was like 45 milligrams. Um, I would ask, just jump in if you've got any quick comments, but if not, I'm going to move on. We've got some stuff to cover. Brendan Lenane, thanks for the channel. Found a calcium score of three, 
300 cannot take Crestor and niacin at the same time. TMG helps with niacin. LP180. Sorry oh, about okay. What's that? Probably LP little a. Yeah, that's what I'm worry about taking five milligrams Crestor. Uh, you know, you're not the only one. A lot, a lot of folks do. I, I've become very, very comfortable. Of That's a very low dose of Crestor, by the way. And as Craig does, I use it quite often every other day, even once a week. Yeah. James Miller with an insulin <laughs> test. Have you seen, I've, I've coincidentally seen some unexpected drops in lipoprotein A on Crestor that I've not seen with other statins. I've not seen any literature on it. I'm just curious if you... Just keep an eye out for that. It'd be interesting to see if you see the same things ever. Technically, according to the evidence, you're not supposed to see that much, but I've seen it too. I, I do think that it, it does help. James Miller, with an insulin test, what ins uh, what would you consider to be high? I'll give you optimum. You want uh, five or less for basal insulin. Uh, at one hour post-challenge, uh, you want it 50 or less. And two hours post-challenge, you, you want it 40 or less. Um that's not, those are not the numbers you'll see as quote normals on a lab, on a lab uh, report. Brendan Lenane, thanks for this channel. Found a calcium score of 300. Oh, okay. We, I think we, that's a, well, we got a bunch of repeats there, Brendan. ET himself, can you take grounding on one's body at night for sleep? Grounding, I just, I've not, I've heard a whole bunch about it. I've, I haven't seen significant valid science on it. Dr. Uh, uh, Dr. Bax, which brand of bergamot do you use? Are there many over-the-counter? Uh, it's the orthomolecular bergamot BPF. And I, I use bergamot, which is a slightly different brand. And there's several, it's a, it's an interesting long story. I've got a video on it. It's where the, the farmers in uh, Calabria, Italy got together and formed a cooperative and actually took on um, uh, the big supplement companies and won that battle. Hmm. Um, apparently, uh, ET himself, A1 milk is bad news, really bad. I don't understand that. I think we may have a typo. It has been great having you on, Craig. I yeah. appreciate you joining. Anything before we go? No, I, I think it... Just tell more and more of your friends and family, just the ones you want to save, you know, from the most common causes for death and disability in our society about the work that Ford's doing here. Uh, send them to the channel. And, um, you know, we, we're, our goal is to create more soldiers supported by software to, to uh, engage in this battle, to provide an alternative to a system that's failing the whole population with chronic disease. So I just, I really appreciate the opportunity to be part of this conversation and with the audience that you reach. So thank you so much. And uh, just to let folks know, keep, keep your eyes open as we discussed. Um, Craig's got some great screening that he's doing with the butterfly device and some of the other uh, things that he's using. David's got some great software. <clears throat> We've got the channel trying to get that information out. And we're looking to team up to give you the uh, best of all worlds. Thank you again for your interest. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website at prevmedhealth.com. To learn more, watch our videos on YouTube at Ford Brewer MD MPH. Thank you very much for your interest.